1: Hello and welcome along to a special international break edition of Steve Bloomer's Washing, the Derby County podcast partnered for the season with our friends at Derby Brewing Company, Derby's original craft brewer. We're delighted to have you with us, as always. And in this podcast, with Derby having the now traditional October fixture break, we're going to take a trip down memory lane for a Rams retrospective of the last two decades. All fans will tell you they've seen their team both achieve greatness and plummet the depths of despair. And since the millennium, Derby County definitely fit comfortably into that category as well. Our beloved club have given us occasional but rare moments of real ecstasy, but also seasons ending in agonising disappointment, heroic failure, and of course, a record-breaking relegation. With so much source material, including six playoff campaigns, a promotion, two relegations, changes in ownership, and loads more in between, You could easily fill a book with Derby's recent history. And that's exactly what one Rams fan has only gone and done. Uh, Ryan Hills is the man behind Pride, the inside story of Derby County in the 21st century, which comes out in October. And to help us look back on this rollercoaster period, he's uh, here with us now. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. How are you?
0: I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Um, This is very exciting. Uh, And the bits where you were saying there about plummeting the depths of Derby... Uh, absolutely, ring true. I'm not sure too much about the heights, but the depths is certainly so, something that I think we've all uh, experienced a little bit over, over however many years.
1: And uh, Anton's with us as well. Anton, like Ryan, I think you guys are sort of a similar age. This book starts around the time you actually also started following the club as well. So it's almost like a, a you know a timeline or a, a biopic of your Derby County supporting life.
0: Yeah, it's brilliant. Really, um, the time fits perfectly with my um, my kind of fanship of, of Derby so it's definitely some great memories in there and it was uh, great reading back and, and kind of reminiscing. Well Ryan
1: congrats on the book um, first and foremost it's often said that everyone has got a book in them but to, to actually sit down and, and relive Derby's last two decades takes I've got to say an extra layer of, uh, of willpower and, and determination. Um, I'm sure it's a question you get asked a lot but what made you decide to, to take the plunge and take on this, this mammoth project?
0: Yeah it's a question I've had a lot and it's a question I'm still looking for the answer to sort of however many years later so it started well I think we sort of grew up and so on sort of the same time in terms of I think my first game was back in 2000 and I just realised back in maybe 2018 it was that so much has gone on over the club over over all the years I've been supporting them that there was something there was something within it so the, at the time I first uh, had the idea of it, I was actually in the middle of, uh, i just finished a graduate job and was working in an Amazon warehouse, so I really had so much free time and was like, there's got to be something more than this to do. And then I realised, why not write a book about the last 20 years of uh, of Derby? So that's, that's pretty much what happened, but I'd never expected it to quite go as far as it did, so... It was sort of a. In the end, it was about a a three-year project, so it was a a pretty crazy one.
1: What's your personal background then, Ryan? Like, did you have much writing experience prior to you know writing an entire book? Like, is it was writing a book in general something you'd always fancied doing, or or did which came first? Like, deciding to write about Derby or deciding to write a book?
0: The I don't think there's anything else I'd be able to write a book about, to be honest, in terms of having that that knowledge. So I did um, I studied sports journalism. Um, so I've got that sort of background in writing, but I never expected to to write a book. And even when I first started it as well, I thought, okay, well, this is. I actually started as sort of a, an idea for a like a. It sounds silly saying it now, but it was sort of a, a children's book idea to begin with, and I have no idea what that would even have entailed, basically. But there's like there's nothing else that I could have put so much time and sort of knowledge into. And I've said before to people like if I was to go on Mastermind or something, the only topic I could even do remotely well on would be sort of Derby from 2002 onwards, basically. So it was a, 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 basically it was a strange one to set up, but there was nothing else I think I could have really focused on. So Ryan, you said you you went to your first Derby game in in 2000. Um, So the book obviously covers the period when you first started watching the Rams, although you did say early on in the book, which is a phrase that I enjoyed, that you since feel that you've been catfished by Derby, given where they were at the end of 1999 compared to what they'd go through. But what are your earliest Derby County memories? Yeah, I was definitely catfished because I've, when I first um, started supporting the club, it was the days of, of Iranio one-chop. Stimak was just coming towards the end of his time with Derby. The first memory I've actually got of Derby at all, well, there's two. There was one, I think it was the FIFA 98 game on the N sixty four, the one where you could play on the indoor arenas. I remember playing as sort of as Derby and, and playing as Baiano and people like that in there. And the second memory I've got is I don't know if you remember that um, Carnival de Paris song, where it's uh, I'm, I'm not going to sing it, but it's sort of is that
1: was that the um, was that the official anthem of France ninety eight? That's
0: I the it? one, yeah, yeah. So it's sort great of, tune, great yeah. tune. Yeah. To be fair, <laughs> I, it's a good it memory is. as well to remember that. It is a banger, yeah. I remember that one, and I remember. It, until I must have been until I was about eight or nine being convinced that the song ended by just with the word one chop because it was brought up whenever I heard that song was sort of around the house. And I had no idea who one chop was at this point because I was like a, a four year old kid. So that's they were sort of the first proper memories of Derby. And then my first game was uh, in 2000 against Charlton, where I remember um, Malcolm Christine, Simo Valakari scored, puts his tunnel up. And then we ended up drawing 2-2. So it really was a a good preparation for everything that was to come in terms of just that little bit of uh, letting down at the end.
1: Well, two Derby players there who had pretty contrasting uh, careers, it's fair to say. But it isn't just a a book of, uh, you know, fan ramblings or like diarised season reviews. You mentioned your background there and you actually uh, chatted to around 60 people connected to the club, including uh, former players, managers, coaching staff and journalists. I mean, uh, it's, it's it's a fascinating topic, and we, we talked about it a bit before we we started recording. From my personal experience, I know how hard it can be getting those people on board, or even just to acknowledge your email or reply to you. I mean, for, for me, the players that we've approached, and we've done a you know we've done a decent share of interviews that they seem to fall into three general categories. There are the ones who who firstly are just incredibly willing and and friendly and approachable and flexible, and they're completely up for it. They've got no problem at all. They'll like, you know, invite you around to the house. They'll do whatever. And then there are a second category of players who maybe say they are up for it initially when you first ask and like, yeah, sure. And then you actually get to the specifics and they'll like sort of go cold on you or like ghost you, which has also happened to me quite a few times. And then there are just some players who just don't even respond at all. And I'm sure you'll tell us later about how many players fits in, fit into those various categories but how many man hours are we talking here in terms of interview time and and the prep that and how much hard work went into getting all these players and tracking them down
0: yeah I was going to say at least one maybe two of those categories can be called Billy Davis categories because he is uh, he's taken up a lot of man time himself without actually being able to speak to him in the end but yeah in in total I think it was about 60 players managers officials anyone with sort of a, a story about the club who I thought could could add something to the book so I actually was really sad last night and I went through every uh transcripted interview that we did I think in total there was 212,000 words just from interviews basically um and in terms of time put into the, the interview process the sort of the, the reaching out and the actual going through interviews that was longer than the writing of the book I think I probably spent around about 200 or so hours in total on all of that which um is quite frightening to sort of think about uh going back all that time, what you could have done in in two hundred hours or so, but uh yeah it was it was a long old a long old process
1: and what are certain players or people that you had in mind from the start, like when you first had the idea in the amazon warehouse you, did you think to yourself, oh, I'll be brilliant if I could speak to x y or z or was it just like you know you went through the the various eras chronologically and thought right i need to speak to this person this person or you know were there people who you definitely wanted to to base the book around initially
0: not necessarily no i mean i went in with quite a, quite an open mind so the first person i contacted was um an ego in the arcades when he was back at luton um i never heard anything back from that one to begin with and then um i think i'm on sort of paul pesky Sleder. so it was a real slow burner in terms of who i'd who i'd be after i thought the original sort of long list of people had about 80 names or so and it. it was people like paul boatin or richard jackson or people who were sort of like middle middle sort of sized middle to smaller sized derby players essentially without being too disrespectful to them um and then it just sort of grew from there so i thought okay maybe i can get people like uh gregor's raziak and then It moved from there into, could I get something from Terry Wesley, perhaps? And then it it really sort of spiralled from from some of the players who are happy to do, who are really sort of happy to do interviews with all of us, into um, people where it was real difficult to actually sort of tie them down in the end. So um, when it got to media clubs, uh, sort of media teams, um, that's where it really got quite complicated. Set the bar low, and then and then managed to pull out some gems later down the line. Exactly, yeah. There were some sort of gems quite early on. So I remember Lee Grant arranging one at the uh, Man United Carrington base. That was I thought, okay, well maybe we've got something here. Maybe this isn't just a bit of a a bit of a pipe dream. There were some of the sort of the smaller ones <laughs> that were even more difficult to organise than that. It's a difficult one because I, I wouldn't say that I didn't enjoy any of them. There were some that were more difficult, as I'm sure you've probably encountered yourselves doing these as well. There were some that were quite difficult to get any sort of big answers from. But in terms of enjoyable, Jake Buxton was fantastic to speak to. Jake Buxton and Craig Bryson were, were real big helps. I think I ended up taking about six hours of Jake's time in the end um, so if he's if he is listening I, I very much apologize for that people like Steve McLaren really really interesting to to be a part of uh, be part of a conversation with him and then some of the others as well people like Will Hughes, Harry Wilson sort of the people you don't really expect to be sitting down with because they're still they're still professionals I think a lot of the thinking I did early on was sort of okay we'll go for the retired people they'll be sitting around watching Antiques Roadshow or something they'll have plenty of time but when it gets to the the professionals who are still in the game sort of at the height of their career, they were the ones that were really exciting because you realise that they're opening up to you about a time that they wouldn't really open up about to anybody else.
1: You mentioned all those names there, but, uh, you know, again, speaking from experience, that there are times when you think this is this is too much faff, this is too much for a ball. Like, Were there any times in that two, three year process when you did think, um, you know, I'm not getting far enough here, like this isn't going to be worth it? <laughs> did you, there were there any times when you did think about throwing it in the towel, as it were?
0: Yeah, I threw I threw a few patties here and there. I was quite grumpy, I'll be honest. Um there were people one of the most difficult ones was Dean Leacock. I had seven interviews arranged with him and every time he just didn't answer the phone. And at that point I was like, This is this is getting ridiculous now. People just aren't answering and you said at the start as well about just being ignored by people. I must have sent off about eight hundred emails, I'd say, in total, and maybe had 100 replies I just became so so used to sending off an email and thinking okay this isn't going to get a reply but that's fine anyway because I've done my bit and then there were other people like, like Billy Davis, who was just not a nightmare to try and sort out, but he's not in the book in the end, which is probably his own book somewhere else. No corner given in that midfield, and it's away from Kumas, and it's at the feet of Derby's top scorer, Stephen Howard. Barnes wants it threaded through, he's got just that, it's Charles Barnes, it's Pearson, it is 1-0 to Derby Guilty. A play lead for the Rams, and a priceless goal for Pearson! What I did get from reading the interviews with kind of the likes of Lee Morris and Bucko and Bishgard and Bradley Johnson, kind of right through the era really, it, it seems like Derby seems to ha- still have a place in the heart of so many of the people you spoke to, regardless of you know, how their time at the club turned out or even how it ended. I guess people probably generally want to say good things about the club for a book. But is it fair to say that there's still quite a lot of goodwill towards Derby from the majority of people we spoke to. Yeah, definitely. I was thinking about this earlier, actually, in terms of, of why that is. And I think Derby is such a, such a family club. A lot of the time we look at ourselves as a fan base and we think that we can be really hostile or, or really sort of um, getting on on the players' backs. But you speak to people like Morten Bishgard and Lee Morris and, and Thomas Sivka, and all they've got to say about the club is just amazing things. Because a lot of the time, Derby ends up being... The biggest club that they've played for so you very rarely aside from Rooney now and people like Irania and Ravinelli back in the day you very rarely get players who take a step down to join Derby a lot of the time it's the biggest club they've been at at that point in their career so I think it's it's very easy for them to have positive outlooks on the club because it, it would have played such a big part in their in their career, even managers as well. So people like George Burley didn't manage a bigger club than Derby. Gary Rowett hasn't managed a bigger club than Derby. Steve McLaren hasn't been successful anywhere bigger than Derby. So all these people, all these players, managers, officials, they all look back with incredible fondness because I think just the way they were treated while they were at the club, the way they had that sort of interaction, there's very rarely any players who, who end up having a, a negative relationship with Derby and Derby supporters, aside from maybe someone like Lee Camp, which I think it's all sort of in in good faith anyway. But the people I've spoke to had nothing but good things to say about the club and the supporters as well. One of the recurring themes of the book seems to be the club's finances um, and just how big a role they played in our fortunes in this period. Um, there was not playing Lee Morris because one more game would have triggered a £500,000 payment to Sheffield United. There was Nigel Clough having to trim the wage bill by £10 million when he arrived. Or well, more recently, there's the spending sprees that we've seen in the Mel Morris era. I guess a lot of clubs have struggled with their finances in this century, and, and some a lot more than us, of course. But it's definitely a theme which pops up again and again in every chapter, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I don't think there's too many clubs who have had... As many issues with finance over the years and are still a football club um, because from the moment that this book starts and from the moment I really remember supporting Derby was around the time where Lionel Pickering was starting to, to lose his fortune in sort of 2000 time. So it begins with handing Fabrizio Ravinelli 38 grand a week, which now is an incredible amount for a footballer, but back then was probably more than the rest of the squad combined. And then being completely stuck in financial limbo because they've given him a two-year contract because um, he ended up going on a night out after they had agreed a one-year contract with Lionel Pickering. And they had a few drinks and it became two years that sort of basically bankrupted the club. And then from then on, yeah, you've got the, the three amigos time where it was just an absolute catastrophe financially even when they got promoted to the premier league relegation because uh, relegation and financial problems because they spent way too way too much money while while they were up there on pretty abject players and then you come to the the Mel Morris era who is really the first person since Lionel Pickering back in the days to inject huge sums of money into the club and if anything the club has sort of it's it's definitely plateaued at least anyway. Because when when Mel first came into the club and you can't you can't really fault him for anything because he's put so much of his own fortune in, and he's done everything. I think this, the way we all would as Derby supporters, if we had that amount of money, it's just not worked out, and it's just been at the point where it's got Derby deeper and deeper into into more problems. So compared to a lot of other clubs, there has been a constant theme. Of just financial, just hardship throughout the entire thing. There was another story in there uh, that Martin Taylor spoke about, sort of when they were um, trying to sign Tom Naylor back in the day. Uh, back in, I think it's about two thousand and eleven. That one was, and it took them ten weeks to get fifty thousand pounds together because the club was just that that cash strapped. Wow. So, so yeah, and then that's around the time where there were where there was the constant talk of a Sean Barker type fee as well. So everything. Derby has been money related over the years and most of them haven't ended up uh, brilliantly but at least at the minute we look okay FFP wise
1: EF- EFL appeal pending I guess um <laughs> all I can really think of is that if only there was some sort of gambling firm that we knew in 2002 to who could have paid Ravinelli's wages what you know what could have been uh, things could have been so different
0: I think even I think even they at that point would have realized not to spend so much money on Fabrizio Ravinelli. <laughs> at that point, having scored something like three goals in his last two seasons, I think they would have they would have maybe stepped here.
1: That's true. He had a great start, didn't he? I seem to remember. He scored like he scored eight in eight and ten or something like that in that yeah. in Asian season. But then he he just he just didn't really fancy it in the championship, did he, particularly he, from what I remember. He
0: stopped turning up essentially, whether that be physically yeah. or mentally, he stopped turning up. Yeah, he was another one who I actually managed to track him down After I got help, got with back from his Asian after I'd signed off on the book. They are like, yeah, Fabrizio would love to be part of this. I was like, "Well, it's a bit late now, and I've already thrown him under the bus a little bit. So <laughs> should have come in earlier." But I'll that, give him yeah, a, send there.
1: on the details. We'll uh, we'll have a chat to him instead. It's, you know, don't want yeah. really that go to waste. No, uh, no exactly. <laughs> let's talk, exactly. Let's talk. Let's talk off air. Um, well, anyway, yeah. you can uh, you can subscribe to Steve Bloomer's watching. Of course, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Uh, don't forget to give us a little follow on social as well. We're at Steve Bloomer Pod on Twitter or on Facebook and Instagram as well. And why not leave us a review if you enjoyed the pod, uh, leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. We would very much appreciate it.
0: Hi, I'm Dean Sturridge.
1: Hi, I'm Paul Pesky-Solidor. Hi, I'm Curtis Davis, and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. So one of the reasons I really enjoyed the book, Ryan, and I feel why books like this are so worthwhile in the first place is because they, they really humanise the players and managers that we just uh, we just take as players as bodies on the pitch a lot of the time it really lifts the lid on the relationships that those people have with each other as well whether it's people like Lee Morris talks about him earlier who you look at his interview turns out he's just like a really shy guy basically and and he just didn't like being shouted at by Jim Smith or someone like Bucko and the the clearly really genuine bond that he had with Nigel Clough and how much of his career he owes to him, which really comes through in the book, I must say, or or Bradley Johnson. Um, I wasn't going to mention him after the Blackburn game, but um, I've already pre-written the script. So um, yeah, Bradley Johnson, who does talk quite candidly about some of the stick that he used to get from our own fans when he was at the club. So were there any really surprising revelations would you say from your interviews about players' characters or personalities that you discovered while speaking to them?
0: Yeah, you've been brave mentioning Bradley Johnson there because I think it's going to give us all flashbacks a little bit. But um, there, are, there are a few, well, I'd say most players were I, I learned something from from speaking to them because we only sort of see them as as footballers or we see the post-match interview, the pre-match interview, and now we can see the social media, but you don't get to understand what what they're like as people. And I wouldn't say that through a 40-minute conversation I've, I've sort of managed to work out the exact psych of someone like Stefano Rani or whatever but there are a lot of them in their way like you say you do just feel a very you see a human side of them so people like people like Giles Barnes for instance I think we would all look at, at Giles Barnes back in back in the Premier League season and be like hey this is this is a kid who doesn't want to be at Derby he's overpaid he's, he's always injured he doesn't like I say, he doesn't want to be at the club. He's he's arrogant. He says whoosh when he goes past players. But then you actually speak to, to someone like Giles and you realise that you build up this this persona and you know nothing about them. You know nothing really about their story. And I'm sure you've experienced it yourself with, with some of the interviews that you've done you've done here as well. But there really is a lot a lot that you can sort of take out of it. So whether that be like say Bucco and, and his relationship with, with Nigel Clough and how he felt sort of so outcasted at times or 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 people who where they sort of talk about Taribo west and you realize that actually everything that we think about Taribo is wrong because he's even madder than than any of us ever expected there is there is a lot that that you can take from the book I think there is because the inspiration really one of the inspirations for this was a book by Henry Winter called 50 Years of Hurt which is about um England up to the 2018 World Cup. And it's the same sort of concept in terms of the writing style. Obviously, his is going to be far different because he's one of the best sports journalists around. But in terms of the actual style, it's about sort of really trying to understand the people behind the footballer. Um, And hopefully that's come across quite well in the book. I didn't just want it to be a, a, a book that sort of tells the story of a season and goes game by game by game. I wanted it to be something where you can feel more connected both to the club and to the people who have, who have lived our dream and, and worn the shirt as well. It's, it's interesting what you say about Giles Barnes, actually, because I, I feel like players like him, kind of young, exciting players, probably get the brunt of it a little bit because people only see a kind of young football player with lots of money and, and don't really think of them as being a human being. So it's probably nice for, for those players to kind of get that human side out. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting what you say about him in particular. Yeah, definitely. Giles Bonds was one who is another one who I really enjoyed speaking to because you realise that, like I say, they are just they are just human beings. And and with with Giles when he came through at, at seventeen, eighteen, he had he had the world at his feet, but he was also part of the worst team in the history of football, and that really deeply affected him to the point that he basically just didn't really want to play football, to be honest, especially when it came to, to Nigel Clough being his manager. There was a lot that we couldn't actually put into the book because we were like, OK, let's leave that out because we might have a lawsuit on our hands here. But there was, um, yeah, someone like Giles, you, you you really understand that these are just people. And there's a, been a lot of talk lately across sort of social media about giving players abuse and, and how that how that might affect them. And it is true because people like Naya Tanga, Louis Naya Tanga spoke openly about the fact that the stick he'd get from supporters either at Derby or Bristol City where he's at afterwards. He just didn't want to be a footballer by the end of it and he just saw it as a job, which I think we all look at as it will be the dream job playing football, playing for Derby, getting to walk out in front of, of thirty thousand people every week. But actually it can be it can be pretty terrifying. And it can have a, a proper lasting effect on on the person. Probably don't wanna to dwell too much on on that um relegation season that Charles Barnes was in. Um but, <laughs> but you've studied every season, including that one of course, from from this period in depth. And it covers most of your sporting life as a Rams fan. But which Derby side from the last 20 years do you have most affection for and, and will you tell your kids about? And I'm, I'm sure it's not that, 2017. It's um, Maybe if I'm trying to scare them, maybe that will be the one I tell. But no, it's <laughs> it's difficult because we've not, I mean, when we, when we look back at it, we've not experienced that many great seasons and particularly that many great teams. I think 2013-14 will always stand out because of the style of the football and because all the players felt felt like they were so close to the supporters I feel I feel like that was that was the season that really stands out in terms of having people like Jake Buxton, Craig Bryson, uh, Jamie Ward, Johnny Russell you felt that these were just people like you as opposed to maybe a few years after that where it was people who have come in on five million pound contracts so that was a big one that stood out even even with how it ended 2004-2005 team under George Burley I think was was a, a pretty amazing one as well because you had all these these um foreign connections come in with Idi Arquez, bishgard, uh, Raziak, Marco Reich, Mokoiich, if you really want to go down that route as well. and that was a, a real strong team. A guy leaving for Kinnett. crossed towards away from two one, one. Brilliant play from the Derby striker. I also a bit of a, a bit of a left field one is the the first half of the 2010, eleven season. Back when we had um, Chef Kikuchi on loan with with Bueno and Chris Commons behind them, and and Robbie Savage was uh, doing all those videos on Twitter, I really enjoyed that that first six months until they they nearly got themselves relegated in the end. I remember vividly us, us scoring five. Against, I think it was Palace at, at Pride Park with with those guys in the side, and, and Bueno was definitely at the heart of that. I think that was a Palace a Palace side with Claude Davis at the back as well, which made it all the more all the more sweeter. <laughs>
1: I think. I think that also might have been a Palace side with um, Edgar Davids in midfield. I think, if memory serves. I think you're um, right. Yeah. I think, yeah. And yeah, I was, I was at that game as well, and I just remember thinking that, oh man, that this is a game where it's clicked. I think we're going to get promoted here. <laughs> it's just we had that, you know, like Chef Kikuchi was like the pivot. Around and he had like Bueno and Commons, um, and you know, others playing around him as well. I thought it wasn't that had the makings of a great little team, but then, like you say, they just plummeted down the league and almost went down. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They what, a, what, a, what do we know? But taking <laughs> it back a few years, Ryan, you, you you touched on it a bit there. There are some clearly defined eras in the book, and there are some seasons which fans will remember more clearly as they were more eventful and more successful and others for for example around that George Burley era where Derby had just recovered from surviving relegation to reach the playoffs the following year in 04-05 I mean when we spoke to Pesky Salido ourselves a couple of years back he he said that it was basically like relegation scare playoffs relegation scare playoffs or promotion for like four years in a row and you spoke to Morton Bishgore yourself at length about this period when there was a lot of change Off the pitch, Derby going into receivership in 2003, uh, the Three Amigos, of course, then Peter Gadsby's takeover. I mean, I know the club situation right now isn't exactly ordinary, but would you characterize that particular era as one of the most chaotic parts of the club's recent history?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because it lasted for a good few years. And when you look back at it now, it just reads like it reads sort of like a novel because you don't really, you don't expect all these things to happen at a second division football club so you begin with with sort of 2003 derby almost getting relegated and being taken over by these people you have no idea who they are until it turns out that they've got no money or the money's coming from uh, some secret funding in Panama and then you've got the excitement of 2004-05 where things were really good on the pitch under George Burley but it's clearly uh, got a really bad relationship with, with Murdo Mackay who uh, is quite the character I think we can uh, looking back I think we do not quite realise to how bad maybe he was for the club or, or maybe quite how uh, just bad he was in general I'd say maybe and then you've got all the all the fan protests around that time as well so uh, it was quite interesting speaking with with Morton Bishgard and Pesky Salido just about what it was like as a player to be around at that time but then you I also had sort of the, the takes from Terry Wesley, who is saying just how how ridiculous it was from the inside. And then Peter Gadsby talking about the takeover. And then the one that I really regret not getting in the end, the, re- the one interview was um, was Jeremy Keith, because I actually made contact with him in the end. And I was in, I was really close to to nailing him down for an interview. Um, but in the end, I uh, he sort of slowly backed out. But he gets quite a, quite a few name checks. So, so that's uh, that'll do for me.
1: I was thinking about this earlier, and the and um, the fan protests. Um, and I, I just had this really hilarious flashback of I'm going to say it was like oh five oh six, maybe when there were like the the board out protests when that was like a thing mm. that, that we used to do. And do you remember when all the fans had like giant foam hands with a <laughs> middle finger up? Do you remember that?
0: Yeah, it was like being at a, <laughs> like being at a WWE show, wasn't it? With it was, wasn't it? yeah, yeah. And I remember
1: having one of them and taking it home. And then it just like sat in the corner of my bedroom for a few years. And it was white when I got it, but it gradually sort of discoloured and got like a bit yellow and like, <laughs> grimy. And it's just it's just yeah. I had this hilarious memory of, of that. And I think that was um, one of my overriding memories of, of that season, to be honest.
0: Yeah, it was, it's crazy. You look back at it now and you, and you just think, you're like, OK, I was, uh, I was just at a football ground with a, a big foam hand. And we also had the red cards at that point as well that you're holding up, saying like, bored out. And it was just—I don't think you get anything quite like that now. I think that's a very sort of mid-two-thousands thing. But it was a a real toxic time for the club. I remember being stood outside the um, the West Stand main reception, and there's just been crowds of people just chanting "bored out." And at the time, I had no idea what "bored" was, how you get bored out, or who even these people were inside this. You just you just end up being around the. It became sort of like a, a incredibly sad party sort of thing because you stood outside of here and you're just protesting for what you don't realise is sort of the future of the club at that point.
1: I feel like Incredibly Sad Party is also an alternative title for the book, to be honest. But um, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> you talked about um that really bleak period that where I feel we genuinely could have could have gone either way. Like we could have really plummeted further down than we did at that point. And of course the promotions of relegations. Um, for you what what would you say, having looked at that period so closely, were the three defining moments in Derby's club history in the past 20 years? I mean, I guess from my point of view, you, you can't really look further than, than the promotion in 07 because of just how long it took to recover from it and how badly it went. And he talks about toxic atmospheres and, <laughs> and can't really forget like Reading at home on the final day of, of that Premier League season when the players were not too far away from like getting lynched as they left the ground basically um so yeah i, I guess you'd have to say that i suppose mel morris buying becoming the majority shareholder and, and, and buying the club in 2015 would have to be a pretty pivotal moment in our recent history
0: i definitely agree on the promotion because i think it fit, it, it seems so good at the time but it set the club back so many years at the same time just because of how horrendously it went Um, And I think it it changed the the entire perception of the fan base as well, because you go a year without winning a football game and things all of a sudden become sort of less, less serious a little bit. So I remember, and maybe this was just because I was younger, but I remember the the first game that we actually won after 362 days or whatever it was against Sheffield United. I remember that being such a sort of a moment of euphoria, but I even remember the celebrations being different, difficult or different to how they were before that, because, in the promotion season, it felt like you were going crazy in the stands when when Steve Howard scores, and then it was, a, it was a case of okay, let's stand around and clap for a little bit because we know what happens if we if we end up winning a few games and get promoted. We know sort of the horrors of that. So that was that was a big uh, a big negative point for definite. You're on the ball here, and with the cut back comes through to Hulse. Rob Hulse, eighteen months without a goal. Club, and maybe just maybe Derby County's winless run is coming to an end. I think um Sam Rush joining the club was a was a big moment because we'd seen things stagnate quite a lot under under Nigel Clough and under Tom Glick with GSC. but that felt like a, a real sort of a real kick up the backside for the club I guess because it sped things up and it, it we I think we all probably thought at the time it's going to speed things up. In terms of getting back to the Premier League, and obviously that still hasn't happened yet, um, but that felt a big moment because I think it was an indication that Derby were were really going to move forward from this this time of of not being able to 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 spend any money basically. And then a third moment. It's, it's difficult because it'd be easy to say something like you know the car crash incident last year. It, really, that looks like a big moment, but in terms of the squad Derby had, it wasn't necessarily Frank Lampard maybe. Join in as a manager. I felt was a big moment because I think it paved the way for the club to look at um, bringing in higher-paid players, people like Wayne Rooney, and doing things a lot more for um, media attention, maybe as well. Yeah, I often think of a uh, one of the un- underrated defining moments of the era was Clough signing Bucko uh, back in the, the early 2010s. So I feel like that moment um, although it might not have felt like a massive one at the time, kind of really kick started the, the fans' love of that team and it was kind of re- really started the upward tra- trajectory towards that um kind of see, um, amazing twenty fourteen um season. Um do, do you think that was uh, potentially one of the um kind of defining moments of, of certainly that team? Yeah, I'd say so. With Bucco, it was a real strange one because he like he was speaking about I remember um when he first came in, he knew all the fans didn't really want him there, sort of thing, because he was this, this fella from non league. But I think, in terms of having that right sort of ethic, he was really the first one, because obviously it came uh, not too long after, after Derby had people like Robbie Savage. He was a real sort of change in ethic, I think, in terms of um, who Nigel Clough wanted in and the side that eventually got so close to promotion.
1: Yeah, so fast forward a few years. Ryan, and we can't uh, we can't have you on the podcast without talking about the last quarter of this particular period. Um, the Mel Morris years, of course, is actually five years ago this month at the time of recording since he became sole owner. It's probably a book in its own right, I suppose. But how would you sum up our fortunes since 2015 and Mel's ownership of the club, especially compared to where we were at the start of the century?
0: Yeah, I was gonna say happy anniversary, Mel, um five years. Um, but I'm not sure it's gonna be happy for, for anyone I feel even even looks back at it as a happy time. It's it's strange, isn't it? Because when, when Mel first came in, it's it just seemed like promotion was, was inevitable. I think we we probably all look back at it now. It's like, okay, we've lost at Wembley and then it's all fallen apart in in the season afterwards. But you've got you've got a manager coming in in Paul Clement who's just worked with Cristiano Ronaldo You're spending £25 in that summer. You just sort of expect it all to go well. And I I really feel for Mel because nothing has gone right for him. And he's done exactly what we'd all do. He's ploughed money into the club. He's he's ploughed his his fortune in. If I was to win however much he's worth, I'd do the exact same. And yet so much has sort of gone against him. So it really has been an incredibly frustrating five years. For for everyone involved, I think no one's going to be more frustrated than than Mel himself because he he knows how well things should have gone, and yet it's almost like it's gone backwards a little bit, unfortunately. Well, you say that
1: I, I suppose in one very obvious way we haven't achieved what we wanted to achieve under Mel. But look, I'm sure if you spoke to him, he'd talk about like the academy, for example, which appears to be in much better shape than it was. Um, more farm as well like our training facility is 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 genuinely up there now even the transformation of of pride park itself which i think has has come on a huge amount since um you know since the start of the previous decade and derby standing in the community and the stuff that it it does with with parts of, of derby and derbyshire but yeah look you're right he he came in to get us in the Premier League and establish us in the Premier League, and the amount of money that he spent to do that, without it happening, will be a source of endless frustration to him. But Anton, how how would you sum up the Mel Morris years?
0: I think he will definitely have a lasting impression on, on the club, even even if we don't achieve the ultimate goal of of getting promotion, the the development of the academy and and the the kind of facilities as you mentioned, Chris. Hopefully, um, at some point in the near future, it will culminate with promotion to to the Premier League, which is obviously the, the ultimate aim. Um, Ryan, Ryan, what one thing I wanted to ask is, it's not kind of strictly part of the book, but what what do you make of uh, the the current team and and, uh, and the kind of current season? It's um, oh, a good question. It's still very early days, is probably the kindest way of saying it. I I think there's a lot of a lot of opportunity in the team, and and like you were saying there, Chris. I mean the work that, that's happened with the academy and we see some of the players coming through now and that really is incredibly bright for the future. And I think that's probably the bit that, that Mel would look on most fondly as well. Um, I think at, at the time being, there needs to be a little bit more experience in the squad because I th- I think maybe a few too many youngsters have been thrown into the lion's den, really. There is a lot of, of opportunity within that side. Um, I think there's certain players in there who have got a lot more to give. And I'm really excited to see what Josviak and Jordan Ide can do as well. Because I think at this level, they can be two of the, the, the top wingers in the entire division. And I think slowly, because uh, obviously the first season of, of, of Kaku's time was ridiculous with, the, with everything that happened off the field, the pandemic, and um, the amount of injuries and, and red cards he ended up having in the end as well. So I think things will eventually uh, be right. Um, I think it's just we need a little bit more patience, maybe. And the thing is, over the years, we've, as fans and I sort of myself, completely included, we've not really had that patience because we got so close to promotion that it sort of becomes a we need this now, we want promotion now. We've been so close. That what are we what are we sort of waiting around for, and eventually we'll get there. Uh, but I think we just need that stability, and I think hopefully, Kaku is going to provide that and get things right.
1: Wise words indeed. I think we can. Uh all agree on there well ryan it's been great to talk to you it's a fascinating book um a lot of good a lot of bad i will going even more bad uh but give us the uh before you go give us the elevator pitch for the book and tell us how we can get hold of it when it comes out
0: yeah here's the uh, marketing spiel that i probably should have uh, prepared nice no, um so it's available in the club shop and the online mega store. So if we're ever allowed back into games, uh, and you fancy reading 384 pages uh, before a match, um, you're probably gonna need to do that quite early. But yeah, that will be in the club shop, and then it'll be in. Um, is it? Is it? They say all good retailers. Is that what? The, that's what they, uh, they usually say. It'll and not,
1: and all bad ones traditionally. And all bad ones,
0: well. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who's looking for for space to fill on the shelves, no, it's it'll be in W. H. Uh, Smith's. Waterstones, um, quite a few bookstores around Derby. I don't know if it's going to make its way outside of Derby because I'm not sure exactly how much of a um, an audience there is for, for Derby books up in maybe Newcastle or somewhere like that. But, yeah, uh, and obviously it's on Amazon as well. Um, and I hope whoever reads it enjoys it. And I think one of the things that I really um, put in the intro and I really hope was just to sort of get the supporters, I, I hope that in the end they feel a little bit closer to the club um, through through reading what's said in there as well that's the big aim, yeah, I hope people enjoy it
1: We wish you every success with it, um, we expect to uh, uh, we're expecting a signed copy in the post and we expect to see pictures of you at the book signing within uh, a matter of weeks but it's been great to have you on uh, always great to hear from other fans uh, do go out and buy the book uh, it's called Pride, it's out in October and Ryan, right, enjoy the rest of the season
0: I'll try, thank you for having me on